Welcome to Mo's 15, The Reunion. I'm James Gomes. I was a Mo's 15er. I was placed in Mabalon in Gaza province, and I work as a teacher at the Escuela Secundaria de Mabalon. I taught 11th and 9th grade English. What makes you happy? I have to make a disclaimer. Just the dynamics of there's people that I would still like to interview and my spouse and maybe even daughter someday are going to listen to this. So I want to be open and honest, but when in doubt, I'm going to self-censor. It's, it's hard to say what I would, how it would be different if I would have gone last. I've also noticed a flaw in my first question, and I'm going to change it for anyone going after me. To ask someone what makes you happy, if they have a wife and kid, they pretty much have to answer their wife and kid. Uh-huh. Not because... Because you're a dick if you don't. No. If you don't, you're a dick, but it's not, but the question's not good because it's not actually giving any information. It'd be like, if I asked, uh, if I asked you, what food do you like? And you're like sugars, fats, and proteins. You need to like your kid or you don't have descendants. So yes, my, my kid makes me happy. It's really awesome to see her develop new skills. Like the day she picked up reading was, was so cool. I was I'm kind of a tiger dad and I've been doing note cards and phonics with her. And she was teaching her the ABCs, like when she first could start to talk. But then one day I was washing my face or brushing my teeth and it was time for bed. And she was in the room and I heard her and I thought she was just fake reading. But then after a while, I noticed she was actually reading and she was sounding out words. It's like some, something like that was just so cool because I mean, I knew she knew some words, like maybe she knew a hundred or 200 words that we had been doing with phonics, but I didn't quite realize that she was picking up on the words that I was reading to her, a lot of sight words that we didn't practice together. And so even though it was an easy book to to see her advance and learn like that was just really awesome. And so things like that happen all the time, or even when she says something wrong, like uh, grammatically wrong that's like cute and that's funny. And that, and that makes, makes me happy as well. So, so this question, I think I need to change it for people that have kids. I need to say, besides your family, what makes you happy? Yeah. And then yeah. I need to ask separately, what's your favorite part about being a husband? What's your favorite part about being a dad? Uh-huh. And then if they, if they say none, then they're really a dick. That's fine. That's, that's their open, honest opinion and good luck. So what makes me happy? I think I, I think I kind of answered that. Now, what makes me happy besides my family? I would say competition. I've I've always loved games. I mean, I grew up like me and my brother fighting and competing over everything, and that still brings me happiness today. Exercise. I went on a bike ride with a friend today, and we were going pretty hard, and that makes me happy. Just accomplishing anything that's kind of difficult outside hiking. Um, things I'll mention later, uh, like fixing things around the house, learning a new skill or, or new information, all, all of those things kind of bring me more like short-term pleasure. So I, I always envision the question as in, if you were going to meet someone new and you wanted to share information about yourself, so like what makes you happy? Maybe it's more like 
Like, what do you like to do? This question kind of took me off guard for my first one. I'm like, I, I don't know. Things? Like, yeah, things make you happy. It's a really deep question. I, I wasn't necessarily intending it to be what is the meaning of life or like what do you find fulfilling in life? I'm not sure if I really have a a good satisfying answer for like what fulfills me in life. That's something I spent a lot of time thinking about that now I just don't even care anymore. I guess you're just not fulfilled, but you know, that's cool. You know, then the glass is only half fulfilled. Right, right. Well, you know, you got, you got a ways to go. All right. So if somebody didn't remember you, how would you describe your Peace Corps self in 2010 to 2012? I would probably say a hippie from Oregon, especially when we first met everyone. I had long hair and then I shaved it. You had a ukulele. I had an ukulele. I was not as good as Daniel. Right, but I think you were more, I don't know who who brandished it more often though. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, all right, what have you been up to in the last 10 to 11 years? So I did a COS trip. Mine lasted until mid-February. Helen and Drew were with me most of the time. And then eventually I wandered off into Kenya and barely Ethiopia. And I just was completely done with Africa. And I cut my trip short and went back to the U.S. Helen and I had stayed together. We did the long distance relationship. I decided I wanted to be an English teacher. And before I could do that, I had to go return to college and take a bunch of undergrad courses in English in order to get into a master's. I got into a master's program at ASU. I taught for a couple of years. I taught for one year, sixth grade in New Jersey. Helen made it into medical school, so I followed her to, to New Jersey. I quit after a year because I was in hindsight, I didn't realize, but I was like super depressed. Like my hobbies didn't interest me. I was eating cereal four to five nights a week. I just was completely burnt out and hated it. So I quit teaching. I became a park ranger, seasonal park ranger, went to Saguaro National Park in Tucson, Arizona for a season. While I was there, Helen found out she was pregnant. So I had to give up on my newly uh, profession of seasonal park ranger, went back to teaching. Helen was placed for her residency in Rochester, New York. So we moved to Rochester, New York. We bought a house. I was going to be the stay-at-home dad and dog keeper, and I failed. Well, Jamie's still alive. Wally's still alive. Yeah, yeah. The child and dog are both still alive, but I couldn't handle it. Um, I could not do it. So uh, the, Jamie went to You're daycare, right now, and I dream. went back to the drawing board as far as how I'm going to pay for daycare. And the last three years, I've been tutoring and subbing in order to cover my daycare costs. Mm, to avoid time with your child, you're going to other people's children to uh, take care of them or teach them. 
for a few hours a week with other people's kids, you can make enough money to have someone else watch your kid for a lot more hours a week. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was teaching. I was teaching in Korea. My uh, coworker did the exact same thing, and I never understood it. But after having talked to you, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Or his wife did the same thing. So I'm like, yeah, I would probably do the same thing in your in your shoes. For the other people without kids, taking care of kids is extremely easy. All you really have to do is like not sh shake the kid. If you don't shake the kid, like you're going to do pretty well. Feed it, change its diaper. Like it's it's extremely easy skills. That's why people that drop out of high school can get a job at a daycare. Because you don't really, you just need to not abuse the kid. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much the blueprint. The thing that makes it unbearable is that it's just like never ending. It's like the same cycle. Like when the kid is for the first year, it's like three hour cycle on repeat every day, nonstop. The cycles get a little longer as as the kid grows. And then also, so I had a two-year-old at, at, at the time. And so occupying a two-year-old's time while your wife works 60 to 90 hours a week, it, you know, it gets a little exhausting, especially when she works two weekends in a row. So like 19 days in a row of that gets gets a little taxing after a while. Well, I mean, there's got to be some gold in those hills. You know, juice is worth the squeeze. Well, and here's the other thing that we have against us. We don't have any family or friends nearby. So that the having family, a grandparent, these things are extremely valuable assets. Mm, right, right. It takes a village. For someone that goes to a new city, has no friends or family to be, and then has a wife that works way too much. Yeah. Like I said, could I couldn't do it. Couldn't handle it. I made it about five months and um, almost had to check myself into a mental institution a couple of times. If not covered in uh, previous, oh come on! You didn't prepare before this. You're gonna read every single I was thing. I looking through this. I was I was taking a gander. Uh, if not covered before, uh, what are you doing? You don't with have your... to say that part, kid. Those are notes for the interviewer. <laughs> oh come on, man! I gotta gotta check. You know, dot your eyes and cross your t's. Um, all right. So I know what you're doing with your time and energy now. Um, how was your transition back to the U.S.? I would say easy. The biggest thing for me was I developed a lactose intolerance. And uh, for a while, I thought it was because I didn't have access to a latrine. So I even tried standing on top of the toilet seat for a while. But really, what, what I didn't realize is I acquired a lactose intolerance that was constipating me. So, so that was probably the most difficult aspect of my transition back. But as far as culture shock um as far as being annoyed that people didn't care about my peace corps service i i guess i learned those lessons already i was in the military and no one cared so i already knew that nobody cares and i i would say my transition back from iraq was was more difficult transition back from the peace corps i i really don't remember a single thing that that was not just like jumping right back into my previous life. Yeah. So actually I got a question about that. So I remember I think it was like the movie, the hurt locker, like the soldier comes back to the U S he's in the grocery store and he sees like in the freezer aisle, there's like a million things to choose from. And he's just like frozen. He doesn't know what to do, which I think I heard other interviews. People said they had that experience coming back. Did you have that experience coming back from Iraq or from coming back from Mozambique? No, I did not. 
the one experience I that I had was I did some security in in Iraq for maybe two two months. And the one thing is like you never want people behind you. And so when I came back to the US, I was still in that mindset. So if let's say I went to Taco Bell, I would go to find a spot where there was no one behind me. This probably this probably still is with me a little bit. Like even in the in the back of my mind, I'm I'm in public. I think I naturally find a position where the least amount of people are behind me as possible. Mm. I mean, you are also like very neat and like kind of a clean freak, or at least you were. Compared to you. Compared to me, yes. Yeah, it's low bar, admittedly. But I, I've improved actually. You'd be surprised now. But it was your interview. Uh, all right. <laughs> what, what is most surprising about you now, considering who you were in most? So probably that I'm married and have a child. That's that's probably the most surprising. I think um, uh, Patricia had mentioned it, that we had a long conversation, philosophical conversation about having kids when we were traveling back from Tet. And I, I guess the funny thing is, if anyone talked to me about kids, I probably told them that I thought it, you know, whatever I thought about it. And the funny thing is, I haven't actually changed my opinion that much about either of those two things. Or do you find yourself, or do you think that you are more um, positive about having kids now than you were before? I'm probably a lot more positive for other people having kids. I there there is a philosophical argument. It's called the repugnant conclusion, and that actually has changed my opinion about having a a larger population of humans on earth at least. Uh, I see. So you'd want a smaller population with more happiness. Yeah, so so for anyone that's not heard of that, it is it is a paradox in the philosophy world. You can't it doesn't there's no logically satisfying conclusion. So so that so that has philosophically altered my opinion a little bit. Damn, are you gonna let those book nerds change how you think man i i am i am a firm believer in the system of logic all right fair enough man i thought you just you know shoot from the shoot from the hip but uh all right let's see how did uh peace corps slash mose prepare you for the lockdown slash pandemic if at all is this a ai <laughs> hey i had it if at all that wasn't on the thing Come on, man. <laughs> nice improv. <laughs> Doing my best over here. <laughs> it's my first time. Okay, pan the pandemic question. I, I think it's an interesting question, but I don't feel like it had any direct or even indirect influence. This is a this is an unpopular opinion, but maybe it's a little more acceptable now that we're a couple years out from the pandemic. But I really enjoyed the pandemic. Explain. Teaching has never been better than when you're at your home in sweats. That's that's a nice little change up. And then the students don't really have to show up. So um, teaching with no students in your sweats is is pretty nice. Helen wasn't going anywhere, so she could occupy our child who was also not going anywhere. And we did a lot of walks. I was able to exercise. Uh, we watched 
the entire series of Ozark, it really wasn't bad from from my perspective as a selfish individual. No one in our family, like no, no one was really negatively impacted. I know maybe friends of friends or, or third level connections would have been impacted, but that, uh, yeah, you know, those, those weren't that much different than just like hearing about the people on, on, on the news to me. So. Did you enjoy that time more than your free time in Mozambique? Like the self-imposed lockdown in Mozambique versus the Corona imposed lockdown in the U S I think hanging out at home during the pandemic was more pleasurable than than just feeling stuck in Mobilon. I definitely didn't read as much. I might, I may not have read, I might have not have even read a book in the initial months. No, I must have. But 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 yeah, I definitely didn't read as much. So that's something that I would have that was probably the the upside to Mobilon. Let's see a rapid fire post-peace Cormos questions. All right. How many of the following have you had since Mo's? Sorry, listeners, listeners, I got to interrupt him. I apologize. I thought uh, I thought someone of of my interviewer's quality could do a little better than this. Yeah, well, I'm, I think the the, view, the listeners will enjoy uh, the different dynamic. You know, they change it up every once in a while. You know, you think you're all high and mighty on your podcast mountain there. You know, come down to earth. In his defense, I've, I've had more practice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Have not had any first dates. I'm with the person I was dating when I left Mozambique, Helen. I guess I should use her name, Helen. I'm still with Helen. There you go, man. All right, offspring. And how old? Jamie is five years old. She will start kindergarten in September. Oh, wow. So, yeah, what are you going to do then? Because you don't have to, she's going to be off your hands during the day. I was really looking forward to my freedom. The school that I've been, that I was working at last year, they really wanted me to come back. And I told them, I said, oh, uh, I don't really need to pay for daycare anymore. So it's not, it's not really worth it for me to, to work here next year. And then they, they, they called my bluff. They said, well, how much would it be worth it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll get back to you. And so I came up with a number that I thought they wouldn't accept, and then they accepted it. So now I'm so now I'm going back to work there. Oh, there you go. Get yourself a purpose too. Yeah, man. So now I'll be instead of just paying for my freedom, now I'll actually be able to have some money. Nice. Do you don't have to get the spending money from Helen anymore? I've never gotten spending money from Helen, but I, there's a good chance that Helen will spend this money that I am going to get. <laughs> nice, nice. Wait, what? What grade are you going to be teaching? And what subject? It's, it is kind of like a modified tutoring role. I'm going to be teaching two small classes of algebra. Oh. These students are going to be below algebra level. So the one, the one class will be probably like a pre-algebra, and the other one might be more like just a really slow pace al algebra. And then I'll be tutoring probably random students the, the other cu couple hours. I'll only, be, uh, I'll only be working 10 hours a week. So this is a part-time teaching job, 10 hours a week. It's like Mozambique, man. All right, so you've regressed back to Mabalani. Well, in Mabalani, I'm pretty sure I had like 18 hours a week. I think I had 10 hours. <laughs> so, I guess, well, 
I think I had like a, a 12 and then six the next year. So yeah, welcome to the club. All right, pets. Vivian wanted me to talk about Wally. Yeah, man, expand. One of the ar arrangements that Helen and I made was I would stay at home with Jamie and be a stay-at-home dad while she worked, and then we would get a dog. So, like, that was the deal. Well, the dog we got, I used to think very highly of, of Mormon people, and this Mormon couple, they had a small child. Wally was, Wally was maybe nine months old. And they were trying to rehome him because the the wife had picked up a dog allergy. He's great with kids. We have a two year old. Blah blah. You know everything. This dog's perfect. He, you know there. And so uh, Helen Helen chewed it up. We we paid money for Wally. Okay, we paid money for him. Uh, brought him home, and find out that he's extremely reactive towards other dogs. We, we live in an area that is surrounded by dogs. Every one of our neighbors fences that touch our fence owns a dog. So now every time Wally needs to pee or poop, you have to escort him outside on a leash. Because if you don't, and there's another dog outside, he's gonna beeline the fence and start attempting to dig a hole underneath the fence in order to uh, probably kill or fight whatever dog is there. On two instances, he's been within biting range of another dog. He's two for two. He's teaching you the limits of your compassion. He's taught me how to hate, which is nice. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I don't hold him morally responsible for his uh, behavior. He's definitely an additional stressor in, in my life. Well, it's like they say about your partners. You could say it about your dog, too. You got to be thankful they have so many flaws or else they would have found somebody better than you. Yeah, I guess so. Perfect match. All right. Uh, how many jobs have you had? Yeah, probably close to 10 different teaching jobs, including subbing. And then how many other jobs besides teaching park ranger? Well, I did two different seasons, but so I was a park ranger for two different seasons. So were you doing, were you doing um, uh, tours of the Statue of Liberty? Was that your main job? I was. That, so, yeah. So my one season was at Saguaro National Park, and I did another season at the Statue of Liberty. I would do a tour most days, but not every day. Do you still know the Statue of Liberty like the back of your hand? No, definitely not. I mean, how complicated is it? It's a statue. Oh, you mean the, the physical statue or like the knowledge about the statue? Oh, no, the physical statue, like taking the tour and stuff. Oh, I could I, I could probably give give my tour pretty close to what I used to give. Oh, nice. Well, you got an option. Got backups now. The Statue of Liberty has to be one of the worst places to work as a park ranger, though. No, I'm interested in this. Please explain. It's an extremely small island, and you're pretty much just doing crowd control. One of, one of the posts we have to stand is the elevator. <laughs> you're a park ranger at an elevator. The statue is on a pedestal. Inside the pedestal is like a little museum. 
and you everyone that goes into the pedestal you so if you if you're going to the statue of liberty you want to get a ticket that goes into the pedestal if you buy your ticket from someone on the streets they're going to lie to you and tell you it goes to the pedestal and then you're going to get to the island and you're not going to be able to go inside so the the generic ticket is just for the island you're only allowed to see what's outside the pedestal and then the best ticket is to be able to go up to the crown so there's three options island pedestal and crown so the people that go to the pedestal they are able to walk up or ride the elevator up to the observation deck which is the base of the statue it took me about 90 seconds to walk up so like you know whatever takes you 90 seconds to walk up they all get in line in the elevator because everyone sees a line in the elevator they just assume that you have to go up the elevator and so there's sometimes there's maybe an hour long wait to ride the elevator that takes you, you know, maybe I'm a fast walker, but it takes you like two to three minutes to walk, even, even if you're an out of shape American. So a park ranger, a park ranger runs that elevator, taking people up and down. Oh, nice. Sounds, sounds awesome. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was the guy who made the, the Statue of Liberty, was, was it Eiffel Tower? Was it that the same guy? We're getting way out, way out there. Well, I think the, the viewers want to, listeners want to hear this. Already. Yeah. So apparently, I haven't forgot all every everything about the Statue of Liberty. So inside the Statue of Liberty is pretty much a skyscraper. It's like an early skyscraper. Mm. It has the steel structure of a of a skyscraper. Even up up in the crown, which is the head, you you can feel the swaying, which you're supposed to. You know, you don't want something stiff. You want it to, so it has some give. The engineer was was the Eiffel Tower guy. Yeah, the actual Eiffel. His name was Eiffel. Yeah. You got to go back to your roots, man. I think if this whole seven thing doesn't work out, this whole teaching thing doesn't work out, you got to get a bright future on Ellis Island or on uh, Statue of Liberty Island. What, what's the name of the island it's on? Liberty Island, but but I'm not hundred hundred percent sure. What new hobbies do you have? So I sometimes do some woodworking. If anyone's interested, I can share a couple of my finished projects on the Slack group. There's my plug, my Slack plug. I've seen his bat recently. It's pretty impressive. I have a modified batting cage in, in my basement right now. Yeah, so you almost hit your daughter with the uh, wiffle ball type situation you got. Tetherball. Kind of like a tetherball, yeah. Yeah, I'm super sore, actually. I, I had to take a couple of days off because my shoulders are just shot. My elbows are shot. Dude, you were falling apart back in Mozambique, and you're still falling apart now, man. It's just like you know, dropping parts left and right. So I do some home repairs. My, my biggest job was a plumbing job. We had an old cast iron pipe. The cast iron pipe was eroding, in completely collapsing. And so of course it started leaking because the pieces of cast iron were stuck in the pipe. So human waste would get stuck on the cast iron and would flood. And so we had all these, uh, for about a week, we had a bunch of water dripping into our kitchen from upstairs. Not clean water, I'm assuming. Not clean water, but you know, the uh, the drywall filters it well. So, so you nice. couldn't really, you know, you couldn't experience exactly how dirty it was. Had a couple plumbers come over the, or I had one this one plumber come over a couple times. He couldn't reproduce the flood, so it's just kind of weird. And so eventually, I, 
I cut open a section of the ceiling and took a peek and I could see that the, the pipe was, was all messed up. And then I decided I got a couple bids. They were all very expensive. And so I decided that I should do it myself. And luckily I had a friend in the area that had some tools that I could borrow, which is actually the reason I had to go to urgent care because I, I uh, forgot to put my, my safety glasses on one of the times I was using the disc, the disc saw, and I got some, uh, some metal, some shrap metal in, in the eyeball. Did they do anything or just send you home? So it was big enough. She could see it with, with her naked eye. So she used a Q-tip and got it out. Oh, wow. Helen could have done that. And then they put a dye in and used a magnifying glass. And she's like, oh, yeah, you scratched the, you really scratched your eye up. <laughs> I knew I had something in my eye, so I kept rubbing my eye. It wasn't painful, but it was, I, I was extremely sensitive to light. Actually, I went to do a Home Depot run because I, I needed to buy a new disc for the disc saw. On my ride over there, I was having a really hard time seeing and I started getting a headache and uh, I had looked in the rear view mirror. My eye was like sh bloodshot red. So I, I actually had, I, I only had a half day of work that, that day. I, I picked, I picked Jamie up on the ride home because I didn't, in case my eye got worse, I didn't want to have to be stuck in it. But anyways, it took me about four days work, only one trip to the urgent care. And uh, I would say, yes, yeah, saved one to $2,000. Would you do it again? Yeah, definitely. Not, not knowing what you know now, would you go through the whole experience again versus paying the money? Well, obviously I would because that's what I did the first time, right? Well, not necessarily now, you know, once bitten, twice shy. Could I advise myself and say, no, nah, just pay someone? No, no, I don't think so. It was worth the messed up eye for a while. I think so. Yeah. And, and it's, it gave me a decent amount of confidence. And this is something that if I could start over adulthood, I, I might become a plumber. You know, it's like funds, you know, it's like problem solving. It's not, it's not that intellectually difficult. I guess the worst thing about plumbing is you're dealing with fecal matter. It's really just gross. It's not, it's not that hard. Pipes can be in difficult spots, but most plumbers, they don't care about chopping up your walls and, and ceilings because they don't fix that stuff. Mm, most people mm. hire someone else to come in. I was much more concerned with the well-being of my house than any plumber that I was going to hire. Mm, that's a good point, actually. Because worst case scenario, the plumber makes a mistake. I, I have to pay him to come back. So I, I was much more careful than, than the plumber would have been. Now, granted, I was also uh, didn't really know what I was doing as well. So I was probably a little more careful because of that also. But I remember you were saying like only plumbers, uh, you have to be qualified and like join some union or guild or whatever. So what you did, was that like illegal or was that just if you had hired somebody who wasn't part of the guild? You can work on your own house. Okay. Now, if you hired me to do that job, at your house, then we would be breaking some type of law because I would not be authorized to do jobs like that. Hand, handymen can do some plumbing jobs. I, I'd have to look up whatever the definitions are. And then it's state by state. I actually looked into becoming a plumber in New York City. It's a five-year apprentice. So it was like, eh, not, not really worth it. You never run out of work though, so. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. Houses are old and crappy and they have pipes that need to be replaced. 
for anyone that's looking at buying a house, I would recommend as new as possible. You got another 40 years to go, man. You got, uh, got some new life in you. You never know. All right. Uh, how have your politics changed? And if so, in which direction? So I would say they've moved right. Not that I'm conservative. I don't identify as being a conservative, but I was pretty far left in the Peace Corps. And I would say now I'm I'm nice, moderate. Kind of kind of similar to what Camilla said, or I would lean a lot more left on social issues and probably lean more right on the fiscal issues. Do you think you're moderate in terms of all Americans? Like, where would you fall in the distribution if, like, the, of the mid, median American? Are you where they are at? Or are you to the left or the right of them? Yeah, I think I'm close to the middle. I'm probably more of a classical liberal, which is people consider conservatives now. Got some thoughts, but I'll leave them. Um, all right. So <laughs> when was the last time you texted, spoken to, and saw a person <laughs> Are you doing this on purpose? (laughs) I thought you knew how to read. This is how I interview, man. (laughs) They're going to be thorough. I have a couple students that that message me. Unlike other people, I've never had a student ask me for money. I have had a American prisoner in Mozambique asked me for money several times. Yeah, Travis. Yeah, did you give him money? Travis used to regularly ask me for money. I even tried to send him money a couple of times. So actually, I probably sent him about a hundred bucks at least. Yeah, I think I sent him like fifty or a hundred one time. Yeah, I think I sent him fifty dollars a couple of times. I also sent him packages, at least two packages. Oh, did you? Did you get in touch with his mom? I did speak with his mom. I actually have no idea what happened to Travis. I think he's out now, yeah? He should be out. He used to be active on Facebook, but I'm not very active on Facebook. I don't know. It's hard. You know, this 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 would be a fun thing for us to look up. So listeners, you have no idea what, what we're talking about probably. But in Mabalon, we had a American get busted smuggling drugs to South Africa. He got busted in Maputo, of course. Yeah, he got caught with like three kilos of cocaine and a false bottom in a suitcase that he had picked up from his friend in Brazil on the way to the World Cup in South Africa. And the friend asked him to stop in Mozambique along the way. Locked up abroad. A real life locked up abroad story. So Forrest and I made friends with him. And yeah, so he asked me for money. So back back to the actual question. So he asked me for money a bunch of different times. Uh, I've never had a student ask me for money. I have had a couple of my students asked me for homework help. But I'm the kind of guy that if you ask for my help, I give you real help. So they they typically only ask one time and then they don't ask for help anymore. Teach a man to fish? Yeah, like I, I, I make them send me their work and I give them feedback. I don't actually do any of their homework for them. So with that said, I do have a couple students that uh, that keep in touch with me. That, um, you know, it's all it's it's kind of like the same old small talk. So I'm not all that interested in the conversations. But but, you know, we we share pictures of of our family. And I probably texted with one of my students, probably the one that that I had one of the closer relationships with maybe last week or the week before. 
You should ask him about the um, the cyclone that came through. So I'm doing, I'm reviewing my Portuguese now with an, um, this tutor online, Mozambican guy. And so he was saying, sorry, I was going off topic, but they had a cyclone where they, the government had gotten um, mobile bridges, like pontoon bridges from the last cyclone. And then they got hit with one like a couple, few months ago and the bridges were gone. The government had sold them. And I was like... So I feel like it'd be interesting to hear updates on Mozambique, but if it's just the same old conversation, like, hi, teacher, how are you? Yeah, I could see you get old. Let's see. Okay, so let's go to pre-Peace Corps. Why did you join Peace Corps? So probably similar to a lot of people. I wanted to travel. I was interested in learning a new language. I did want to be part of a new culture. But more so than that, I... I had a growing disgust of American society. I, like I said, I was a lot more far left and I was a lot more, or or, may, or maybe I, I was a wannabe Christopher McCandless. He's the main guy from Into the Wild. Yeah, I, I just didn't think much of the US government. So you joined the government program? <laughs> it all makes sense. Didn't, didn't think much of American culture or society, didn't, didn't think much of civilization in general. And so I was just looking to get away. I, I had spent a summer in Europe. And so I met a bunch of European backpackers and it gave me all these, these biased, probably like mostly false ideas about Europeans being smarter and more cultured. And so I thought maybe I'd just get away and try and be more like the Europeans I had met. I even read a book about why not to join the Peace Corps. So that was not my first choice. I, I was actually looking for other options. The problem was I didn't have any skills. No one was going to pay me or even support me to go. Like I, I could have maybe volunteered for three-week programs and then I'd have to pay for my flights and food. So I could have done things like that, but but I wanted to be immersed and kind of get get away. And so eventually I had to... I had to run back to the U.S. government because they have this program called the Peace Corps where they actually support you and take care of you to go and fulfill your travel and adventure needs. Traveling on Uncle Sam's dime. It's purely transactional. I, I wanted Peace Corps was the way that I could get what, what I wanted. I did want to help. I don't don't identify as being like a savior. I mean, maybe, maybe I was more so than I think, but I don't recall feeling like I knew better than other people. I, I really didn't know much. I had a degree in pushups. So I, it wasn't that I was smart or knew better. I just wanted to help people and I wanted it to make positive impacts. And I, I figured I had the ability to do that. Self-discovery too. I, through these travels and through wanting to be a good person and wanting to help people that I would discover something. Did you discover something? I don't think so. Sounds about right. I think I'm always discovering a little something kind of just evolving, but not, but no, but no big answer. That's what I wanted. I wanted a big answer. I wanted to know the meaning of life. I wanted to know my purpose in life. I wanted to know something concrete and so no, I don't think I ever discovered that. You you read too much Siddhartha. Yeah, actually, this is, yeah, I was fresh off Siddhartha. I, I had probably recently read Siddhartha around the time I was applying to the Peace Corps. And, and then you still read it every year ever since. 
Yeah, uh, I may have missed a year or two, but yes. And for anyone that's interested, I'm going to read it again this year. And now I, I have a, I have more of a format. I, I had a little, I started a little book club last year. I think at least one listener was was part of it. And uh, I'm going to do it again this year if anyone's interested. All right. How did you end up in Mozambique? Similar to maybe half the other Mo's 15ers that have shared, mine was a last minute accident. I had, so when I was in Europe backpacking, I had, I had fallen in love with a girl for the first time. And so one of the reasons I wanted to get out of the U.S. originally was I wanted to be closer to her. She was from Switzerland. And so when I decided that I needed the Peace Corps, I was applying to go to Eastern Europe. And then my my process through that had a few hiccups. One of the doctors scribbled one of my MMR results weird. And so I, they rejected my my medical package. And then there, you know, there was just a, a, a you know, whatever, a couple things like that. I didn't get processed through in time to go to Eastern Europe. And then if anyone else missed their opportunity, there, it's a slow process. There's not really good communication. And I was pretty much giving up on Peace Corps. It was one of those things like I didn't think it was going to work out because they kept telling me I have to reapply and wait till next year. And so I wasn't really interested in wasting two whole years on, on the Peace Corps. I had applied to a graduate program in environmental education. This is a really long answer, guys. And I was also taking undergrad courses to be a science teacher. So I, I already had plan B and C lined up. And it was summer vacation, so I didn't have any classes. I was working with my dad, who worked for a nonprofit at a school, so it was some, so I had nothing going on. And so I was out doing road trips, backpacking. I was hiking in the Cascade National Park in northern Washington, and I just happened to be transitioning between hikes. And I had cell phone service for a couple miles. Noticed I had a voice message from from my dad called him back and he's like, hey, someone from the Peace Corps is trying to get a hold of you. And uh, it sounded kind of urgent. And so I I cut my trip short. I didn't continue on to Olympia National Park like I wanted to. I didn't finish whatever hike I was gonna go do that day. And I just drove all the way back home, called the Peace Corps the next day. They offered me Sub-Saharan African, Portuguese speaking country. And I was I was like, okay, yeah. It was maybe like two or three weeks before we left. Now, now, listeners, I just want to point out for you here that James buried the lead. He mentioned halfway through that he joined Peace Corps and chased some filly that had broken his heart. <laughs> you went through this whole thing of self-discovery when you were trying to go to Eastern Europe to meet this girl. No, no, no. Well, those are different questions. If the question was, why did you apply to the Peace Corps? Missing... Eastern Europe is an important aspect in why I ended up in Mozambique. So she didn't influence your decision to apply for the Peace Corps. She didn't say like you should join the Peace Corps. No, I no, I didn't say that. But that's not, that's not my question. Did she in, in your head? Re uh, restate the question. You said that she influenced your decision of like where you wanted to go in Peace Corps initially, but did she also influence your decision to apply for Peace Corps at all? No, no. When I started applying, we were still together. We we didn't last long. I mean, I guess I could have maybe looked up how to teach English as a second language in Europe, but I wasn't really 
I wasn't really looking for real jobs. I, for some reason, I was looking for weird alternative uh, experiences. All right, man, you can dress it up however you like. I, I get the picture. But but by the time I actually joined the Peace Corps, I mean, like I said, we lasted maybe a month or two after I got back to the States. She broke up with me and moved on. And I had a very, I was very slow to move on. So like me joining the Peace Corps, she she was already uh, out of the picture. Flown the coop. Gotcha. Well, blessing in disguise. There you go. All right. Uh, what was your biggest fear about uh, Mozambique or Peace Corps before you left? So a bunch of people have mentioned that they were afraid to ET. I was the ex exact opposite. I was afraid that I wouldn't ET. I I thought I would be too stubborn to go home early for for all the egotistic reasons. And so that was that was more of my fears. I'm going to go. And I'm going to realize that the Peace Corps sucks or that because I did not really enjoy being a Marine. And that, so that was a four year commitment. And that's a, one, one of those things like once you realize how much it sucks, it kind of sucks more each day. And so I was afraid that the Peace Corps would suck kind of like the Marine Corps sucked and that you're just kind of stuck and you're there and each day is worse than the other. And so luckily it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have that problem, but that was, that was probably my only fear. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. Good to go. I think we would agree that we were ready to go when we went. Yeah. I got really negative towards it. I think you were more positive. I'd never really heard you complain. From my experience in Mont I think one year would have, would have been fine. I think the second year I was a better teacher. Yeah, you did the English competition or whatever. They, they won the first place. But as far as my, imp my, my impact and influence, I don't know if anything I did my second year really did anything different than what my first year did. And I, I, don't, think I, per I don't think I personally grew at all from the experience the second year either. I, I mean, at my, I didn't really focus on my Portuguese enough. I didn't definitely wasn't integrated into Mabalon very well. You, you, you and Helen weren't a thing till the second year, were you? Correct. Correct. So I, I did meet up with Helen the second year, but as far as the Peace Corps experience, not necessarily, I guess, personal relationships. What do you remember most about Namasha that sticks with you? So as I mentioned, I, I was heartbroken and I was still kind of getting over my, my heartbreak probably when I was in Namasha. And so there was another volunteer that, that I was, that I was interested in, in Namasha. So I guess just like trying to get to know her and maybe build a friendship with her is something that definitely sticks with me. I also remember struggling with Portuguese. That that that's very strong. I I was one of the the volunteers that had to eventually get private Portuguese lessons. So I I missed out on parts of the training towards the end because my Portuguese was so bad. And there's a funny story about that is tied to my my bad Portuguese. So one of the first nights I was showing pictures to my host mom. And so I had 
I had some pictures of when I was a baby. So my Portuguese sucks and I'm like reading out of a book. And so I mentioned that this was me as a baby, but that's not what I told my host mom. I, I told my host mom that was my baby. And so all of training, my host mom thought I had a kid. And then towards the end of training, it was one of our last nights. It may have even been the last night. I had I had like bought ice cream from one of the stores and we were eating ice cream with, you know, just my my host mom. And then she had her her granddaughter. So we were celebrating like one of my last nights. And uh, she asked me about my kid. And now I I knew under, you know, I could understand Portuguese a decent amount. And so she asked me about about my kid. And I was like, I don't have a kid. And she's like, yeah, you do. And I was like, I, I don't have a kid. And then this goes on for a little bit. And she's like, you showed me a picture of your kid. And I was like, and so finally I get my pictures out. And I was like, uh, this is me. And so come to find out like the whole time during training, my host mom thought I was a deadbeat dad. So that's how bad my Portuguese was. You, you cleared it up at the end. That's the important part. All right. What's your favorite memory of Namasha? I think it was Aaron that mentioned the lightning storms. I remember going for a run one evening and it just got really dark and it was raining and it was just this lightning storm that just lit up the sky. And it, I just remember thinking that was so cool. That That's probably one of my best memories in, in the Masha. Anything else you'd like to add? Let's dive deep, man. I didn't hate training i didn't necessarily like it i'm not i definitely remember it a lot more now that i've heard others talk about it but if you would have asked me about namasha before we started this podcast project i probably wouldn't have had much to say about it no me too i mean i'd say you didn't, you didn't strike me as like you know somebody who was putting their, themselves out there like crazy but it seemed like you were generally well liked by everybody you're just kind of like the you know like me and Drew, we were like, and Eddie, just trying to like get all the attention where you were just, you know, you're friends with everybody. So you blend it in. That's probably just consistent with with who who I was. Even in high school, I wasn't part of one clique. I, I was kind of cool with a bunch of the different cliques and I would bounce around and I would have lunch with the skaters some days and I would have lunch with the jocks some days and I would have lunch with nerds some days so yeah so maybe that's just kind of kind of more more my personality perfect guy to start a podcast yep but uh about peace Corps. all right uh what are the three words that best describe your experience in mozambique reckless literary and adventurous now right, you want to expand i'll do the, the easy ones first literary as I mentioned, I, I read a lot. I never, I never read a lot in my life. I, I maybe started reading a little bit after graduating college. And so in Mozambique, we just had all this time. I was reading books that I was supposed to read in high school and they were quite good. And so I just kind of, eventually this is why I decided to teach English instead of science, because I just really fell in love with literature while, while we were in, Mo in Mozambique. Adventurous, as I mentioned, I, I wanted to travel a lot. I pretty sure I went to every province our first year. So that that and that was just uh I guess ego. I just wanted to get everywhere. And so going traveling was definitely a huge motivation for me whenever we did we had time off from school. 
And then the last one, I'll reckless. I'm kind of surprised. So, so I read a little bit of my journal and people have talked about the accident with Mark, people that weren't even that, that proximity close to the accident had these huge, huge responses and it impacted them a lot. And they were nervous about traveling. I was at Mark's house when the accident happened or shortly after it happened. And I was waiting for them to get back and then they never got back. And I was kind of getting annoyed. And then I, I was trying to call them and I don't even remember the other volunteers names, but eventually I talked to the most 17 er that, that broke his arm. And he was just telling me what, like what happened. Of course it was very shocking. And I was at Mark's house waiting for him. I ended up staying the night with, with his neighbor. It didn't affect me at all. I didn't change my traveling behavior. I mean, you, you, you and I both, we, tra we traveled all the way up North. I wrote in my journal that there was an accident and a couple of volunteers died and, 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 and that was it. It was just, it was just so nonchalant. It's kind of, it it's kind of surprising. Yeah, I, I've felt the same thing listening to the other podcast interviews. I'm like, well, that didn't really affect how I thought about traveling in Mozambique afterwards. Like, whereas for other people, it was like a huge effect. I can't even say for sure that I was more cautious. I mean, I was traveling at night before and after that event. Maybe I was more aware of drunk drivers, but I really don't know. Well, definitely reckless. Would you... I feel like I wouldn't do the same thing now. I mean, yeah, I feel like if I were peace going now. Would you travel at night? Yeah, probably. I think there's some situations I wouldn't put myself in that I, I put myself in before. It's probably the same for you, but I think that's more just age. I kind of feel like the things I would do differently now would just be because I'm too inconvenienced by being in Shapas. Not necessarily that that I think it's dangerous even now. I mean, it's, you know, there's risk, but part of being young, you just don't correctly calculate the risk. And then also for us, I think it was a bit different. We were on a dirt road. Mandy, Mandy talked, talked about this with her motorcycle, how she, at least she presents it as like a safe option because it's not traveled it's a sandy dirt road. There's no cars on it. So, and I would say Mobilon was a little bit like that. I mean, the road was bumpy. It was a gravel road, but it wasn't a lot of traffic. It was straight. I mean, like it was so straight. There weren't curves. So you couldn't, you couldn't really drive that reckless. So being in the back of a truck driving down the road in Mobilon, even in the back of the truck at night, I feel like isn't as reckless as being on the EN1 in a shopper though I, I were you in the car we were riding back to mabalani on the dirt road and you remember that time that car like sped past us and then like i don't know like 20 minutes later we come up on it and it's upside down on the dirt road i don't recall that yeah i don't know those they all survived i don't know how but they were like drunk or something like that and so it was during the, like the middle of the day and so all of us got out and like flipped the car over and they just continued driving on so I guess accidents could happen, but that was the only one I saw on the road, on our road. 
All right. Uh, what do you miss most about Mozambique? Like others, just the pace of life. I th I think it's really nice to be an hour late and no one cares. That's kind of cool. The fact that anything that's supposed to happen at 11 can happen at 12. I'm experiencing that again with my uh, Portuguese tutor from Mozambique these days, actually. So right, what do you miss least about Mozambique? I had a hard time finding a real answer for this. I, I really did like Mozambique. And I guess I'm tempted to just borrow other people's and say traveling. I think if I was in Mozambique now, I could not handle Shoppas. At least not for very long. That's what you, you hitchhike. Yeah, but still, I mean, you can't always hitchhike. Well, okay, but going back to this, it's almost like like things that hurt or can actually be, you know, worth it in the end, like uh what's it called? Like having kids or something like that is like an, it sounds like it's annoying in the short term and long term you get meaning from it. So I remember Drew was talking about traveling where he was like, I miss the sense of like getting my backpack and leaving my house and no, I'm not gonna come back for a few days or a week or whatever, and not knowing what's gonna happen. That part of traveling, I would I would bet you do miss as well. I don't know. Actually Really? Helen's still like that a bit. When we travel places, she wants she wants to just go nonstop, nonstop. And I just want to stay in one place and do almost nothing. Mm. Well, Mabalani was a good site for you then. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's that time you, you wait. Would you wait like six hours out, out front for a ride? Nobody came. So you just went back to the house and canceled your trip? That probably happened multiple times. If I was doing Peace Corps again and I was in Mabalon, I think I would spend a lot more time in Mabalon. Yeah, I mean, we spent quite a bit of time there, but... Besides, like, the first week of school where literally no students come, I don't think I missed classes besides Peace Corps events that we were supposed to go to. Yeah, we had a ton of vacation time. Uh, well, I was going to say also you miss the rocks and you don't miss the rocks and the beans. Oh, that's a good one. Forrest was... So lazy, he wouldn't clean the beans. He wouldn't would even sift through them. He he wouldn't sift through them for rocks. So he would just cook the beans as is. And so there's rocks in them. You chew carefully, man. Well, I don't like chewing carefully. So actually, you know, this is great. I'm glad you brought that up. The thing I the thing I miss least about Mozambique is how lazy Forest was. Well, teaching you the limits of your compassion, man. Preparing you for having kids. It was so bad that Forrest actually didn't clean them. I could care less about dirt. But I would, I, the rule was Forrest would, would, would have to wait till I sifted through them to cook beans. Yeah, and then you clean on the weekends and I would leave sometimes too. That was great. Yeah, thank you for that, but I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's not that far off from uh, my current uh, roommates. Yeah, dude. Yeah, see, I'm just was preparing you. Here you go. How's your Portuguese these days? So terrible, but not quite as terrible as it was a couple weeks ago. I started doing Duolingo with Jamie at night before bed. So hopefully she will pick it up. And then it doesn't hurt for me to refresh. It's actually kind of nice. And then the best part about it is it's super boring for her. So unlike 
books that are engaging. The Duolingo is she's like I guess a little engaged because because it, it's on my phone, but she falls asleep so fast. If I would have known she falls asleep this fast doing Portuguese, we would have started years ago. Yeah, dude, I actually do the same thing for Chinese flashcards on my phone. It puts me right to bed, man. And that's good for learning. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask before you said she falls asleep, how long till her Portuguese is better than yours? But looks like it's not going to happen in the short term. Not the short term. Yeah, she's she's uh yeah, she does fall asleep pretty easy. We're also doing it's Brazilian. So they do like the weird, the weird Gia's bone Gia kind of annoying, but uh, yeah, look at that look at disgust in your face, you don't like hearing it. Um, all right, what are a few things you did a lot in Mozambique that you never or rarely do now? I also could, couldn't think of a really good one because I, I have hitchhiked a couple times since we got back. Where, where was that? Like, how? So I was backpacking one time in Oregon and I got smoked out. So instead of continuing my backpacking trip to where I would have had a scheduled ride, I hitchhiked home. Maybe that was it. I don't know. I can't remember if if maybe Helen and I might have hitchhiked in some other country to a short ride somewhere or something. Maybe, maybe I ran out of gas and needed to hitchhike. All right. Not as much as Mozambique. Got it. Definitely. So that's, so that's obviously one. I have pooped outside, but I don't poop outside nearly as much as I used to. I do. Um, I do have a funny poop outside story. Lay it on me, man. For any listeners who do not want to hear a six minute poop story, please skip until one hour, seven minutes and 30 seconds. You've been warned. They're all Peace Corps people. They're not. I know. They should enjoy it, right? Vivian's going to love this. Vivian's really going to appreciate this one. This one's for you, Vivian. So I dropped Jamie off for a screening for kindergarten. Oh, this is recent. Yeah, this is this is last month or maybe two months ago. This is recent. Nice. And so I decided to go for a walk. I'm a few blocks away from where I dropped her off. And I have like a very mild urge to go to the bathroom. And maybe two blocks to my left is a shopping center with a grocery store, a bathroom. And I'm like, ah, you know, that's fine. Okay. If, if I, if, if it gets worse, then I'll walk to the grocery store. So I, I make my first mistake. I turn right away from the grocery store. Now I'm walking away from the grocery store. And so I decide I'm going to go walk around for 15 minutes and then walk back. So I get to about my 15 minute mark and I notice that there's a field and I'm familiar with the field. It's part of the high school, but I'm not so familiar with the field, whether I know that there's a portage on or not. So I'm like, you know, okay, I'm going to go walk over to, to the field because I, I kind of use a portage on. <laughs> Closer I get to the field, the more the more my body is all getting excited about going to, to uh, the bathroom. I get to the field. There's no portage on, of course. But there there is a field. Trust me, in a little bit, the field's going to sound a lot better. Actually, the closest bathroom might be to walk to the high school and find the outdoor port, port of John, but that seems kind of far away. So it's, and, and I have to go pick up my daughter. So I decided I'm going to have to go back to where I dropped her off and go and ask them to use the restroom before I pick her up. 
And so I start walking back. I'm maybe like two blocks away from the learning center where I dropped her off. Dude, it's like getting bad. I'm I'm clenching my butt cheeks and I'm walking. You're doing the funny walk. It just it just keeps getting worse. Like each step, it's getting worse. And then it gets to the point where like I'm really close to the main road. I'm like houses away from the main road. And now I'm I'm just looking for anyone that's outside their house so I can ask them if I can use their bathroom. Like it's getting really bad. There, dude, it's like the apocalypse, man. There's not a single soul outside. There's no cars going around and there's like really no spots to hide. It's like a residential, uh, the house that's, the house that's on the main road, but on like the smaller road that I'm on. So like maybe 50 feet from the main road has a tree, not a big tree, but a tree and a fence. And so I look around, I mean, like, it's like extremely painful at this point. I look around, there's no one. I squat behind the tree by the fence and I poop. So you shat in some person's front yard. Not their front yard. Their front yard was on the main road. Mm, the backyard. On the other side of the fence of their backyard. If if any of their neighbors were looking, they would have out their windows. They would have saw me. <laughs> Jenny, there's, there's some homeless guy taking his shit out the back of your house. You know, I got to clean up. And so I don't have a whole lot of options. So I take my shirt off and I use my shirt to wipe. And uh, luckily I knew before I did this, I knew in the car that I had a sweatshirt. And so I walk back to the car with no shirt on with a poopy t-shirt in my hand, <laughs> drop it off in, in the dumpster and go and put my sweatshirt on and then go pick up my daughter. So then I drive back to the spot. I get one of my dog poop bags and I have to go out and pick up my poop. That's nice of you. Peace Corps volunteers, for anyone that's ever uh, pooped themselves or had to poop on the side of a railroad while they're walking to the market or uh, or any other weird things that happened, you have two options. You poop in your pants or you poop where uh, you are. And I prefer to not poop in my pants. Right. Though I will say walking home from a three kilometer road on the railroad tracks, there's nothing around the wilderness for Three, mile, three kilometers, you were in a dense urban environment with multiple options. And it almost seems like this is just more poor planning than anything. I mean, in hindsight, if I would have realized the, if I would have realized what would have happened to me, I would have gone to the grocery store, obviously the first, you know, the first uh, urge. No, but this, I mean, this initial urge is, is a urge you feel every day. It's like, oh, that's fine. I'll finish the dishes you know, finish mowing the lawn. This is just a normal urge in life. But how many times has this situation happened since Mozambique for you? This is it. Okay. I thought this was, you know, a yearly thing. No, 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 no. Yeah. The last, I mean, the last time this probably happened was probably on the railroad tracks in Mambalan. Wow. Okay. All right. Once in the blue moon. Yeah. yeah. No, I've, I've pooped outside other times, like because I was uh, maybe backpacking or camping. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, nice. All right, well, thank you. Yeah, that, okay, now the poop story's done. Poop story's done. Fast forward over. All right. Uh, what was your malaria med adherence plan? 
So I, I mentioned this a little bit in the little malaria episode that I made, but I stopped after about a year. I didn't really have a good reason to stop. I'm pretty sure I just didn't like the idea of taking the malaria medication. I was definitely anti-drug, even to the point where like I never took Advil or Tylenol. I would just suck it up and deal with headaches, drink some water. So I think I wanted to just be all natural and I didn't want any drugs. And so when I found out from a couple of Europeans that they don't take malaria medications, if they're going to be in country for more than whatever, six or nine months, I said, all right, cool. That's, that's good enough for me. I'm not going to verify their information. I'm not going to check any FDA warning labels or didn't do any research. I just gave it up. Would you do the same thing again? Yeah, I probably would because I think I mentioned this as well, but we didn't really have a lot of mosquitoes in Mabalon because it was mostly dry. And then I, I also, I, I also don't like wearing sunscreen. So I would typically have long sleeves. So when the mosquitoes got out, I would put on a long sleeve shirt and I would put on a long sleeve pants. So I think, so I probably, I probably would not take the medication in hindsight as well. Yeah. You didn't like shoes for a period there either. <laughs> yeah. So for listeners that don't know, James went through a period where he didn't wear shoes because he read it about it in a book, like born to run or something about uh, running barefoot. So he walked to the market barefoot once and then the ground got too hot. And so he had to buy flip-flops at the market for the, the walk back. But everybody in the village thought you were crazy. They were like, Peter James, you wear no shoes. In my defense, I also went like a whole summer without wearing shoes and one year in college or maybe even the year before I joined the Peace Corps. So it wasn't, it wasn't that I couldn't walk around barefoot. It was that the ground was so hot, which actually, which uh, Drew can relate to. Oh, yes. As we've gone over in his, yeah, yeah. If he can sympathize. Um, all righty. Do you have a funny story from Mozambique to share? Yeah, um, I have, I have so many. Um, I probably, I probably shared enough, I think between, um, between Drew's episode. Actually, no, okay. I have, I have another funny Drew story. I think you, I think you were with us. So we were traveling somewhere from Drew's site. We were going South because we were going back home. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And the shop pulls over and Drew's going to go pee. So Drew and Drew has his headphones in. So Drew's in the front seat of the of the shop. He's got his headphones in. And so Drew walks over to go pee on the side of the road. And everyone in the shop is yelling at him. And he's just oblivious, not paying attention at all. And then me, me and you are kind of wondering like what's going on. And so I think you maybe asked someone or maybe you read a sign because they're, and this is, if this is an exaggeration, it's not much. But about 10 feet away from Drew is a sign that says like mine warning. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do remember this. Yeah. I wish I had a picture of it because it was so good. I mean, Drew's Drew just like waving everyone off, like, no, it's fine. I have to pee. And he's standing by this like danger sign. <laughs> so that's that that was pretty funny, Drew story. No, I, we could we should have an episode of all Drew stories. There's definitely a lot of them. Get a Google Doc going. All right, nice. 
Uh, all right. What is the worst thing that you did or most trouble you could have gotten into while you're in Mozambique? Define it however you want. So this is another one. There's so many things back, back to my reckless. I traveled across Zimbabwe alone for no reason. I had me, Helen, Ian, and David went to Victoria Falls. And they all went back the way that we had come through Zambia. And I decided, you know what? I'm just, I would, I should go through Zimbabwe. And so I did. I traveled by myself alone at night through Zimbabwe. I actually almost, uh, I was being silly and I went to exchange money with people on the streets like an idiot. And I almost got robbed by them. Luckily, I noticed what was going on and I kind of like grabbed the guy and I was able to get my money. And, and uh, the first thing I did after that was I went right in to one of the exchanges and uh, do p- p- people were walking by the street, just like correcting me, like, what, what, what are you doing? You use them, you know, exchanges. And I was like, eh, yes, yes, obviously. So, so yeah, I, I almost got stuck with no money. And, uh, and there was also something weird about the, I had a late start because I'd lost my credit card or my debit card or something. And so I was actually waiting for my mom to transfer money. So this money that I had just gotten, my mom had just transferred me and I almost lost it. So like that's, and then because I got off to a late start, instead of going back the normal way, I was like, I stuck with my plan to go through Zimbabwe. So I was traveling through Zimbabwe at night. I got into one of the towns at like 3 a.m. And I was lucky enough where the Shapa driver just hung out there and me and several other people slept in the car until the other shoppers came. So I was almost in some, not capital, but like some other city that's one bus away from there at 3 a.m. alone at night. So like that was obviously very stupid. Could, Could have gotten a decent amount of trouble there. Well, now I wouldn't disagree with you there. Well, okay, maybe not not telling Peace Corps about that. Yeah, you are going against the rules or whatever. But getting to see Zimbabwe, I mean, I don't think it's that. I mean, I don't know the situation. I don't think it was that dangerous. We're talking about, dude. It's so stupid. I didn't see Zimbabwe. I was in a car the whole time. Dude, but you did, it's you, really did get, you did get to get like the billion dollar notes, which I was always jealous of. Uh, you can get those at Zambia. You buy those from the people at the tourist sites. For Victoria Falls. Gotcha. Okay, could avoid some of that. But you get you get to say you, you went to Zimbabwe. So yep, yep. I can say that. I have no memories of it. Um, nothing else to say besides that. Nice, nice. Yes, I mean, I also never told Peace Corps when I traveled. I already mentioned I traveled a lot at night. Um, I guess administratively, uh Carl caught me in Swaziland, didn't tell Peace Corps. I went for one of the music festivals with a bunch of other people. Uh I had Got like a little slap on the wrist for that. Megan had mentioned in it that how we were. So some volunteers I mentioned they took the train into Maputo for our one uh, mid-service training when Gaza province was flooded. Well, at the time I was in Nampula. Uh, I didn't tell Peace Corps. I had been traveling around up north, and when Carl called me to tell us that we couldn't leave site because of the floods uh you know i lied to him 
told him, uh, had explained why me and you weren't together. I hadn't talked to you in probably a week or two. And I didn't, didn't even know there was floods. <laughs> nice. Nice. Did he ever find out? Or did they ever find out? So they thought I was in Maputo already. And luckily they didn't ask to come see me because I wouldn't have been able to show up. Right. And you took a plane down. I flew down. I flew down on the same flight as a bunch of volunteers that lived up north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that because they could all come down because they were far enough where they could fly, but we weren't allowed to know we were closer. Yeah, so that so that was another one that I probably could have gotten a decent amount of trouble in for. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> you weren't the most reckless, I'd say, you know, it was a spectrum, but... Yeah, I think you were you're pretty you're yeah, in the middle. I don't think I wouldn't have been locked up abroad for anything I did. Well, we almost got locked up abroad. Oh. Well, that's a good story. But would we really have gotten locked up? Not for he was just trying to scare yeah, he was just trying to scare us. So you you want to tell the story? We had couch surfers. Couch surfers stayed with Angela. And they wanted, uh, they wanted like a real Mozambique experience, or they wanted to go out and and see the Matu or something like that. So Angela sent them to us. It was a young European couple, yeah. A European couple. She asked us, and we're like, yeah, send send them out. So they so they come to visit us. We take them to the river. So, anyways, we went to the river with them. With Drew, we went back to the village to go eat and then with them we were going back to our house so we went back and then we were getting closer to the prison which i knew and you said like oh wait hold on i i oh we go this way it's a shortcut i, I take it all the time so we we beeline for our house and, and then yeah we get closer to the prison yeah something like that i i i said i knew the way in in my defense, I knew the way direction wise, but there's so, I mean, this is like a spider web of trails. So you really don't, no one really knows their way unless like they're walking them every day. And then, and then we get closer and closer to the prison. And then I, I had seen the prison from the other side, but I never realized how big it was. And there was, there was a big courtyard in between the prison. And then there was other little like pods of, little prison buildings around the outside and i didn't know that because i'd never been inside it before so i was like oh we'll just keep going straight because i and that's probably why i said because i know these trails blah blah blah, blah. but but what i didn't know is i didn't is i didn't really know how big the prison was so next thing we know we're inside the prison at that point i knew we were in the prison i knew we weren't supposed to be in the prison but we were already walked in so i was like ah, whatever and the prisoners are just going crazy they're yelling at us we have a girl with us and uh so of course, you know the prison guards show up with their AK-47s. Uh, they they are not being very friendly with us. They take us in, kind of interrogate us a bit. Yeah, I'm like shirtless and covered in mud at the time. He's like, put your shirt on. Yeah, I wasn't concerned at all. Uh, our our European visitors were very concerned. <laughs> Did not speak I, Portuguese. I think yeah. you may have been a bit concerned. You you definitely took care of it because I couldn't communicate in Portuguese as well as you. 
Yeah, so I'm gonna jump in. The, the guy was like, he was pointed to his uh, cell. He's like, you're staying overnight here because he thought that we're, we were foreign journalists trying to expose Mozambican prison conditions. So they looked at our cameras and like that we didn't have any photos of the, the prison on there. But then he starts talking to the warden. It's like, oh, you guys are teachers, huh? Well, next year I'm gonna be in twelfth grade. <laughs> you guys are gonna give me a good grade, right? We're like, yes, sir. He leaves us out. Yeah. That was definitely kind of dumb. I wouldn't consider that anywhere near my top 10, like, worst things I did, probably. Yeah, true. I mean, really, what was going to happen? Like, they were probably trying to scare us. Worst yeah. case scenario, they keep us there, and we have to call the Peace Corps, and Peace Corps takes care of it for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we gave, But we gave those Europeans, I mean, they had probably the time of their life. If they have a podcast, I guarantee they talk about us all the time. Is this actually sounds very similar to that Always Sunny episode where they kidnap the journalist that writes the bad review, and at the end they let him go, and they're like, "Yeah, he's got a story he can tell for the rest of his life." Yeah, it's just like that <laughs> for those terrible people. Yeah. Let's see. How has your Peace Corps experience changed you? So I kind of think this kind of goes back to uh, a little bit to what I said about I didn't really have a big discovery. I. I think it did have a big impact on how I see people, but as far as any real changes in who I am, I, I, I'm tempted to say I wouldn't be that much different if I hadn't done Peace Corps, but maybe I could be wrong, of course, but, but I did, I definitely learned, I think I still relate back to Mozambicans, how everyone has problems, all these psychological findings and experiments uh the hedonic treadmill is 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 one of my favorite ones or uh hedonic adaption and yeah americans that appear to have everything aren't really any happier or better off psychologically than a mozambican who has what we would consider close to nothing so that is something that probably most connects me with mozambique just learning and seeing that would would have a probably a lasting impression on on who i am and how i see people do you think you would be as patient as you are without mozambique i think i was pretty patient before there's i i like to say there's there's two types of of men okay this is a sexist statement okay there's two types of men impatient men and men who don't have kids oh so if you if you have kids you lose your patience yeah i think the real test of patience is is kids mm. i i used to think i was a very patient person and during my failed stay-at-home dad experiment i realized that i was am not patient at all i just lived most of my life without having any kids Mm -hmm. you're on vacation for 35 years vacation. nice nice all right uh well besides how you changed uh what lasting impressions does your peace corps experience have on you today yeah so i think i kind of answered that too but uh just not much i i think especially before this podcast i rarely thought about peace corps or Mo mozambique it's it's something i did but it's not something that I'm consciously aware of or thinking about. When this podcast is done, I think I'll probably fall back to that same state of mind.
I have, I have spent a decent amount of time, at least like earlier on reading my blog and reading through my journal. And that was fun. And it brings up a lot of things, but I mean, these, these are things that if I didn't write them down, I would have completely forgot about. Yeah. I gotta start writing, writing more stuff down. All right. Let's see here. What do you think of Peace Corps as a government agency? So contrary to beliefs, I, there's at least one listener, a most 14er that uh, accused me of hating Peace Corps or something along the lines of like, he's surprised I am doing this podcast because I hate Mozambique so, or because I hate Peace Corps so much. But I think Peace Corps is great. I think if we could set up a controlled experiment where we have hundreds of Earths and you give Peace Corps to half the Earths and no Peace Corps to the other half of the Earths, I would bet a lot of money that the Earths with Peace Corps are significantly better off. I think the comments that Drew and Charlie said about looking at what Peace Corps is able to do considering its budget, especially compared to other organizations and government agencies. Yeah, I think I think the Peace Corps is great. Even, even if the intentions of the creation of the Peace Corps weren't great, I think what we have today is pretty good. It gives people like us an opportunity to learn, become more empathetic, become more compassionate, become just better people, I think in general. And then we can go out and do whatever we're going to do the rest of our lives. Knowing that, I think we probably will donate more to charities. I think we will be more welcoming. I mean, I, I think the impact that we have alone is enough to justify it. So I, I would take issue with your uh, thought experiment of 100 Earths or whatever, the ones okay. with score. So I could see... Um, a, it wouldn't necessarily be causal because the fact that Peace Corps exists in those worlds means that they're not at war, countries aren't at war, and that there's a relative peace where you could send people like friendly, you know, corps to other countries. Uh, and B, maybe the countries without Peace Corps, everybody's rich and you don't need Peace Corps. Imagine if it was a real controlled. Oh, so everything else was equal except for the fact that there was Peace Corps versus no Peace Corps. Yes. Kennedy hadn't started. Yes. Got it. Yes. A real study. In your hundred earths. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Obviously, this is not, uh, this is all theoretical listeners. Right. Well, but then there's also the dead aid hypothesis that, you know, we're displacing, you know, services that would be provided by the government uh, in the host country. I think the dead aid argument is very strong. I don't think the help the Peace Corps provides is anywhere near the the dead aid it was minuscule compared to i mean we're given a few hippies yeah yeah no I, I i can see that point yeah all right well yeah i'm surprised you think so highly of it yeah i, I kind of got the sense of you seem so cynical about like government programs and stuff like this and like oh it's the man you know but yeah, i mean maybe not to the extent of that mo that with that most 14er thought but i'm like oh yeah i'm kind of surprised to hear you talk so positively of it I mean, personally, I was very happy. Yeah. Another another way that I've changed, I think I'm. I was very anti-American. I I already mentioned that U.S. and I, I've kind of changed my mind about that. I think if you would have talked to me in the Peace Corps, I would have said the U.S. Constitution is outdated, um, is stupid. It's all. I, I probably would have not had much to say positive about the U.S. Constitution. That's another thing I've completely flipped on. 
I think the U.S. Constitution is admirable. I think it's, I mean, not it's not perfect. It has flaws, but considering on when it was made and how long it's lasted, I I think it is pretty incredible. Just just the foresight that the founding fathers had in order to make something that is functioning the way it has. If it was if it was easy to change, people would have changed it, and we probably would have had a lot more severe um, disputes and world or civil wars. And if it was impossible to change, then we probably still have a lot of the problems that that we had at the creation of, of the country. So I think I think all these maybe the special interests were were a bit of a didn't quite for, foresee the special interest, but he, but even Madison, he, he was a fan of special interests. Yeah. Well, I think it could always get worse. So yeah, you gotta be thankful for what you got. And the other constitutions were written after ours. So they have, they have more information when they create their constitution. So, I mean, to say that the European countries are better than us. Yeah. Well, they wrote their constitution with a lot more information and they learned from us well it depends on what you mean by better but yeah i mean okay so let's say let's say that you think theirs is is better probably because it's more progressive right well yeah they had more progress to build on well it's also yeah i mean it also depends on for whom like yeah i'd rather be poor in europe than poor in the u.s for sure but i'd rather be rich in the u.s than rich in europe so it depends on your perspective Dude, if you're rich, you're rich. Who cares, man? Yeah, that's true. All right, fair enough. Let's see here. Uh, all right, would you do Peace Corps again? So I seriously doubt it. I think the more I've thought about people's answers, it sounds cool and sounds like fun. Like I think Drew said he'd do it with with his with his daughter or something. Yeah, I mean that sounds fun. Nobody's ever doing Peace Corps again. Well, okay, not nobody, but almost. Yes, I think very few of us will do it again. But my wife is going to make a lot of money. So, I mean, I guess if she if she drops me, I could see myself doing Peace Corps again. Yeah, I could see that too, actually. <laughs> After uh, Helen finds a, a better spouse, maybe. She upgrades, yeah. Assuming we survive. Uh, she's going to have so much money. We don't need the Peace Corps. I don't need someone, you know, we're not going to need someone to take care of us. It, it just doesn't make sense to go through training, to have to follow Peace Corps rules. Well, we didn't need Peace Corps in the beginning. I don't think nobody does it because they need Peace Corps. Yes. No, that that goes back to my point. It, free travel. Yes, that was nice. So it's more attractive to a 22-year-old, I agree, because of that point. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's actually why it's mostly young people. Part of the reason is because it's free travel. You don't have the money to travel back then. People say that the Peace Corps doesn't pay well. Uh, to me, that's just a silly idea. It doesn't need to pay well. Yeah, it's the experience you're getting. Like they give you a stipend. The stipend's pretty nice. Anyway, we'll see. We'll come back. We'll do this podcast again in 20 years and see if. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think every decade, you know, we'll rehash it every decade. There you go, man. There you go. All right, let's move on to value. And then we'll see how many people do their interviews from, from a Peace Corps country as a, as a volunteer. That, that'd be good. So move on to this section. I choose business ethics. <laughs> a multi-billionaire 
gives you, uh, a, let's say, $100 billion tomorrow, what are you going to do with it? Eddie said that the $10 billion was too much. So I think if you make it higher, he's just going to be even more upset. And and I think he has a point. So let's let's say let's say it's less money. Okay. Let's just say a lot of money, but but not quite 10 billion. Hundred million dollars. I may or may not pay off Helen's medical debt. It's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah, work for it, man. Gotta be motivated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she this is what she wanted. Yeah, this will drop you like a bad habit, too. But hey, if I have a hundred million, then you know. yeah, that's true. You got a hundred million. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it'd be nice to do Peace Car again with a hundred million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so pay off pay off my house, provide some financial security, just just minimal financial security. I would start a school, kind kind of small, but maybe uh, be able to do maybe some more experimental experimental ideas. I might maybe contact uh, the Khan Academy has has some things that I think are promising going on. What's the what's the biggest thing you would change in that school though compared to a regular one? Khan Academy, I think they call it like the Khan World School or something like that, but it's it's online. So I I think I would incorporate a lot of the online aspect and instead of having teachers for each subject, I would go more with facilitators who can assist the students in understanding and finding the right answers, not necessarily experts in, in content topics. So you'd hire more people like you, like tutors. I would hire more pe people like me. Yeah. So I would start a school and then if it was successful, I would like to expand on it. I would, I would, this is something I, I would have to look into more, but I would maybe look into investing in lab meat where you can create meat without killing the animals. I would look into that depending on how, how much money I had. And then I would want to give a majority of the funding and money to global education, educating girls and women. So that would, so those would be the focus. So I would want at least my own school to mess around with in the U S uh, pay off my houses, maybe consider some some lab meat, and then the rest would be a global education. Yeah, you got your uh, you know your money in different baskets there, diversified. Nice. Yep, nice. diversify my portfolio for sure. Diversify your bonds, man. All right, so you wake up tomorrow and it's day one of training. What do you do differently than you did last time? I think I mentioned this, that, that this thought experiment came from a reoccurring nightmare I have where I wake up and I'm in boot camp. Wait, actually, let me mention that before. What would you do differently in boot camp? I want to know that. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. So yeah, I think I did mention this, but anyway, sorry, I'll listen. I'll mention it again. Cause maybe some listeners didn't listen to every episode. I, the fastest way out of boot camp is to graduate. The problem is when you're, when you, when you go to boot camp. You're in the military. So in order to get out, you need to have some type of discharge. Honorable is going to take four years. Mm, but dishonorable. Dishonorable is not that good if you ever want to probably join the Peace Corps. Uh, there's admin sept. So you could that so that would be the route. If you wanted to not finish your your service, you'd want to get some type of admin sept. The other is a medical discharge. Yeah, that, that would be very tough. 
I think being 18 years old again, I guess I could finish. I guess I could redo the military if I get to be 18 again. I guess that deal seems okay to me. So I think I would, I would uh, be a Marine for four more years. Yeah, I take that. I take that deal to have my 18 year old body with my now mind. Yeah, that that seems like a great deal for me. In fact, I could probably get. I could probably uh, become an officer or something, possibly, and and even could be somebody. <laughs> I could be one 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 of those colonels uh, that are that are experts on uh, the Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, dude, you'd be a mover and shaker, man. Oh yeah, man. Now, for the record, I I would not be one of those pro Putin colonels, though. Just just to just to clear that up. Are there any in the U.S. military still? Uh, they're not active, but they are retired colonels. Yeah, one of my buddies, former Marine. Yeah, this is why this episode is so long. Former Marine, dude. He is. He's he's practically a communist uh, card carrying uh, member of the Soviet Union. It's crazy. And and there's this this Colonel McGregor, Mac Gregor. And anyone that's that keeps track of Fox News, this guy's been on Fox News multiple times. The Fox News pundits think he's crazy. So he's crazy for Fox News. He's buddies with Tucker Carlson. He's been on the Russian sponsored news multiple times. Oh, nice. Nice, dude. Yeah, this guy's way out there, man. Pro Putin, just Putin lover. And so, anyways, one one of my buddies loves this guy. So would you would you do the 18-year-old body deal if you'd end up like that guy is the question. Ooh, that's no, I don't think I want I don't think I want him to be like that guy. So yeah, so for listeners, this is what we did in Mavalani all the time. It's just would you rather to pass the time. So it's part of the reason. What what was my answer for what what do you miss most about Mozambique? Maybe I missed the would you rather's. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, you get to uh, expand your mind a little bit. Okay, so I'm I wake up tomorrow and it's day one of training. So I I am tempted to follow Eden. You know, I'm tempted to maybe just go out to a Maputo and and do and do my own thing. Start dating some Mozambican dude, man. Maybe, you know, if he's rich enough. Could facilitate some things out there. Like the reason that makes this question so hard is, is my Portuguese would be a lot better. We, we probably wouldn't be stationed in Mabalon, even though I, I'm not sure if I'd want to be somewhere else. Maybe, maybe I could try and steal Drew's spot from him. Mmm, Villain Kulush, the cushiest place on the mall. I'm not sure I'd want to do some other site all over again. I think I'd rather go to Mabalon or just not do it. Mm, better the, the devil you know. I already have all the experiences that you gain from doing Peace Corps. I don't really need to do it again. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't stay in Mozambique. I, I think I might go to Tofu. No, you and Hamish. You guys could be best buds. Not Hamish. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in Hamish. You have this, like, he was like your enemy. Well, but you know what he was stationed in, in, um, in Tofu, though. Were they? No. Oh, Nasty Nate was. You, you could become, well, you didn't drink, but you could be Senor Tipo Tinto. 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get Nasty Nate on this podcast. Oh, sorry, Dr. Nasty Nate. Dr. Nasty Nate. Yeah, he he might be able to make one of the honorary, honorary most 15 lists. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'll invite him to the Drew episode. <laughs> we'll invite him to the Eddie episode. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> all right, so... Okay, and so actually, this is an insight. Uh, if anyone hasn't heard the James Gomes song, I'm not sure if I want to openly share it, but but it's pretty good. Oh yeah, that pretty much encapsulates our Peace Corps experience. And so and so, what just happened here? This is what it was like to be in Mob in Mobilon. Except we 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 would expand more, of course. Right, and put and set it to music. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. You know, do you do you play guitar much at all? I don't almost never. Yeah, me too. Very rarely. Um, all right. Well, on, on that note, do you have any Fafoka that you care to share? Nope. Older and wiser, no Fafoka. Um, all right. How about post Mo's media recommendations album? So the best album I've heard besides Hamilton, which I can't believe no one's shared maybe because it's so popular. It doesn't need sharing. There's, there's a album by the roots called undone it's told reverse chronological order and i think it is an excellent album it's probably between 30 and 40 minutes to listen to and that's by far the best album that i've listened to when did you listen to that i remember i tried to teach it when i was doing my student teaching sounds about right Probably around 2015. All right. Uh, all right. How about song? So I've recently been obsessed with a song called I Took a Pill in Ibiza, which I did not realize was a super popular song. And I randomly heard a reggae version of it. I think it is a excellent song. Actually, I have been playing my, I have a baritone ukulele that I've been playing a little bit because I've been trying to learn this song. Oh, nice, nice. Well, you got the the chuck down, I guess. It's half the battle for reggae. And then there's there's another song. At least it comes to mind. It's a uh, the woman with the tattooed hands by a, a rap group called Atmosphere, that I think is also an excellent song for literarily for literary purposes. Yeah, that must be an old song. That's like an old group. Yeah, it's like in the two thousands. Yeah, that so that song came out probably before we went to Mozambique, but I had never heard of them or heard the song before. All right. Uh, let's move on to books, uh, fiction. So these, these are all Peace Corps related. Half a Yellow Sun by Shimamanda Adichie, Color Purple by Alice Walker. And then I didn't read Poisonwood Bible until after Peace Corps. So for me, Poisonwood Bible by uh, Barbara Kingslover never read any of those so add to my list uh all right nonfiction. i'm just going to recommend poor economics if anyone i think this book is one of the, so this one's also related to peace corps i think just understanding that poor people are rational this the this one really solidifies that i so this so this is maybe something that i've changed my mind on since peace corps I think I did have the bias that a lot of the people we saw in Mozambique that weren't making good choices were being irrational. And so I've completely abandoned that, that idea. I don't, I don't 
think people are irrational, even people that make decisions I think are dumb. Well, I, I, I read this book, but I, I thought it was about like um, randomized controlled experiments he, they did to reduce poverty. There's there's a lot of things to it. Like one one of the studies they look at is they give people money and then a bunch of them buy TVs instead of food when they're under like when they're undernourished. And then the but they conclude that living in a little village is really boring. So actually having a TV is actually better than having so like even though you're going to be hungry, like being hungry is way better than being bored. And so when and so when you look at and so when you look at people's decisions, they become a lot more rational if you have a better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, I totally forgot about that part. Yeah, I have to check that out again. Um, all right, film. I would say the Spider Verse, the new one, the one that may or may not still be at the movie theaters. If you haven't seen it yet, it is visually stunning. The music is very good. The story is also pretty good and you should see it in the movie theaters i saw it twice i wouldn't even be against seeing it a third time in in the theaters oh i see it was like spider-man in different like iterations of spider-man right yeah it's it's the spider-man version of the multiverse except spider-man kind of popularized it first so this this is technically a sequel to an animated film that came out maybe uh I don't know, five or six years ago. This this one is much better. The other the the previous one was a little more childish. This one, like I already mentioned, this this one is not childish. I wouldn't even recommend taking small children to it. It's very much for adults. Huh. Yeah, and I heard it was really good. Yeah, there was a Planet Money on the Spider-Man movies. Apparently, Sony bought the rights or something, but they would lose the rights if they didn't make a new movie every year. And so they just had to keep making it. It's why they were shit for a while, but apparently this one's really good. Nice. All right. What uh, show do you recommend? I, I would say Barry, HBO. Um, it's uh, what if Dexter Morgan decided to be an actor instead of a serial killer? Uh, the Marvelous Miss Maisel on Amazon Prime. Uh, very, very funny show. It's a woman in the 60s that decides to be a stand-up comedian. Ozark, uh, what if Breaking Bad was an accountant? And then Lasso, Ted Lasso, well, what if a nice guy was a coach and then he went and coached a football coach that went and coached soccer in Europe? Oh, yeah, I wonder what Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is. I've heard everybody recommend it. I know next to nothing about European football. And so Ted Lasso is this cliche American football coach and he goes over there he knows nothing about the sport and so funny because as he learns about the sport the viewers like me are learning about the sport oh interesting all right now i'm really interested oh yeah it's it's a good one i would yeah it's probably out of the shows i mentioned it's probably the best start to finish uh all right podcast I've listened to a bunch of podcasts over, over the years. I've dropped most of them for ad purposes. So I'm only going to recommend one that is ad free conversations with Tyler. It's Tyler Cohen, economist, his, his guests are intellectually diverse. They're not all that ethnically diverse. They're mostly all white men, but, but I think he does bring a pretty diverse 
topics and a lot of the guests I've never heard of before. And they're very interesting. And I find a lot of books that I listen to from that podcast as well. Yeah, I remember you introduced him to me and I've listened to a few episodes now. So I think basically this guy, I think he has the broadest knowledge base of any human I've ever heard. I think he has like a photographic memory and he just asks guests like rapid fire questions, just on like diving deep into that person's not like realm of expertise. But he also asks like really insightful questions. So I, I don't know how he knows all this stuff. So he's a super lexile, which means he's able to read incredibly fast. So he's definitely doesn't have a photographic memory, but yeah, he, he's definitely a smart guy. He's very well read in philosophy and, and, and all over the place. His, his interview technique, it takes a little bit of getting used to because he just will, he'll change a subject. Like he'll ask a, a technical question about economics and the next question will be about baseball. So it's like abrupt questions, but anyways, I, I think uh, it's very well very well done and like i said the best part is ad free you don't have to listen to a single agi you don't have to listen to the host lie about how they took a product or how they sleep better now oh they just yeah peace corps mozambique podcast brought to you by barbasol as <laughs> 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 you say that no um yeah, I'd also say it influenced your podcasting style. I can hear it in how you run your interviews, just kind of rapid fire somewhat. But I also, do. can you expand more upon this ad thing? Do you just not listen to podcasts that have ads? It's like every podcast. I have a very high standard for my podcast. So there are a couple that I listen to that that have ads, but it's it's I only listen to them when when I don't have an audio book. So my, so my prefer, so I prefer to listen to an audiobook. So that's, that's what I, I borrow them from the public library. And then when I don't have an audiobook to listen to, then I go to my podcast. And so uh, conversations with Tyler would be my first choice. I do randomly come across some other podcasts. I recently started listening to Big Brains. It's from Chicago Un uh, University. They also don't have ads. And then through them, they they advertise other podcasts through their network, but it's not it's like not a a real ad. It's more like if you like this show, check out this other show. And so then there's a, a political science one that I've been kind of randomly listening to as well. That's I've never studied political science, so it's been quite interesting. You know, there's a skip button, right? Dude, but you have to press the skip button. What if I'm on my bike? I get I got a Bluetooth remote for my motorcycle. You can just press it. It's it's so much easier. I mean, yeah, okay, whatever. It's unbearable. My audiobooks don't have any ads. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Each his own. And the audiobooks are, they're thoroughly investigated. They're edited. Most of the podcasts are complete trash. It's just a bunch of uh, people like me and you talking about stuff that they just Google searched. Yeah, though, well, the famous ones aren't. But, um... no, I mean, dude, the famous ones aren't that far off either. Not, well, but like, well, the one's done by like professional journalists, but the um, audiobooks I'll listen to if I like I'm before I'm going to bed or if like I'm on a, on a highway driving or riding. But if I'm like doing stuff with my hands, I can't pay attention to an audiobook because I think a podcast is specifically designed for people who are doing something while they're listening to it, whereas an audiobook is originally a book that you're supposed to sit down and read totally undistracted. So I can't 
pay attention to an audiobook as easily, you know? Well, you have different tiers, right? You have like the stuff you really want to pay attention to. I typically will, would want to read that in print. And then there's the stuff like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'm just curious about maybe some new ideas. Yeah, I, I can listen to that. And, and and then there's stuff that like, oh, someone recommended this or like maybe I might try out just the introduction. So yeah, so there's like a tier of, of different things. So, that, you know, just sample something. I'm always sampling things. I'd rather take my chance with an audiobook, just sample the introduction, maybe give a chapter or two a chance and then move on. All right. Uh, children's book. Okay. So I, we recently checked out the magical yet from the public library. That that's a fun one. Uh, baby monkey. I think I recommended that to a couple people, but baby monkey is a really fun one. I like the Dr. Seuss stuff, the cat in the hat. I mean, I kind of mentioned that with, with Ian, the Eric Carlisle mixed up chameleon and, and grouchy ladybug giraffe can't dance is a good one. Very popular one that everyone probably has is a little blue truck. Those are all fun. Yeah. So it, if it rhymes and it has a nice message, those are always good ones. So what about that one that uh, you showed me, but you read to Jamie that, uh, about the uh, spaceship and it takes a lot of time. And you liked it and you didn't care if she didn't understand, understand it because it was fun for you to, to read. Icarus at the edge of time by Brian green. He is a, uh, a physicist at Columbia. Yeah, that's, so that's great, but that's, that's not really, I, I would argue that's, oh uh, yeah, that's like an older children's book. That That's great. I've read that to Jamie a bunch of times. That's also a good one. It's quite boring for her. Nice. Nice way to do it. Right. Is it is a children's book? Is it better if it's boring or if it gets the kid interested? It depends on what time you are reading to her or him. Oh, got it. Yeah, it makes sense. So, oh, oh, sorry. You know, uh, there's there's another one. Uh, the Lion Inside is a really good one. That's probably better than most of the ones I mentioned. The Lion Inside. All right, children's film. I'm gonna recommend. One that that I've never really heard anyone else talk about. It's on Netflix. Over the Moon. What's it about? The main character is a girl. Her mom dies, and then her dad starts dating, and so she's upset because at the beginning of the story, her mom is telling her this tale of everlasting love. And so, and so the, the daughter decides she's going to travel to the moon to show her dad about true love. And so she's, she's a smart kid. She builds her own rocket ship and she travels to the moon. Nice. Is this animated? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the soundtrack is great. The soundtrack is great. It just listening to the soundtrack, it has a, uh, some diverse genres and it tells a complete story. Soundtrack is great. Movie is great. And the message is my favorite. It's probably my favorite part. The message is, is awesome. There's no true love. There's no everlasting true love. If you or yeah. your wife or somebody dies, move on. Yeah, man. Wrap it up. And don't hate on people that, that after, you know, several years want to get it back on the dating market. Right, right. Get out there, man. Live your life. Yeah, dude. Oh. Nice, nice. I mean, be respectful. Wait a couple weeks before you open up your <laughs> <Right>. Tinder app. <laughs> the body's cold. And then yeah. Get out there. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Just, the past is the past, man. You got to live your life. Absolutely. Yeah.
And if your kids have a problem with that, they need to watch over the moon. Yeah, suck it up, B. Come on now. All right. All right. Good to know. Um, all right. Are there any uh, film shows or books or modes that you revisit? Always Sunny. That's that's one that that show probably reminds me a little bit of Mozambique. It definitely reminds me of you, Eddie, and Mona. Mm, oh, really? I never thought about that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm Dennis. I mean, I look like him now. No, just because we watched we oh, watched yeah. it. Oh, all, I thought we were the crew. Yeah. Oh, are we, me, you, Eddie, and Mona could be the gang? Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Who's cricket though? Probably Drew. Probably Drew. <laughs> Sorry, thing. Drew. That's Sorry. that's not a that's that's not a real thought. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing though. Really, he was. You know. He well, what about Barbara? Can Barbara? Does Barbara want to step up and be our Danny DeVito? Be our be our Frank. She could. Yeah, she's funding that whole operation. That's the way to do it. Have you have you seen the new season? Is no, I haven't. It's it out. out there. Yeah, uh, it, it, dude, it, it feels like one of the old seasons. I think because they did the podcast recently, where they were they rewatched all the old. It feels like ten years ago or fifteen years. It's so much better. I really like it. Well, now I know what I'll be doing this weekend. There you go, man. Nice. Um, all right. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? Nope, I'm good. This is uh, plenty long. I think. Yeah, yeah, this is the longest one. Well, uh, yeah, I'll say thank you for doing the uh, the podcast, man. And um, yeah, hopefully you're not the last one. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We have been dry for a while. For anyone listening, I did share this in the last email, but we do have three episodes. I'm I'm awaiting approval. All right, well, thanks, Forrest, for taking the time. Um, I, I wasn't using your name for some reason at the beginning, but whatever. I think I think yeah, I think uh, people can people can figure out. Nice, moved on. Nice, yeah. No, it's a pleasure, man. Well, I look forward to hearing some more, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. Let's keep in touch. Peace. All right, cool. Peace. Friends of Mozambique is a five hundred one c three nonprofit founded by Moz RPCVs is a way of continuing to make a positive impact in Mozambique post Peace Corps service. The most important thing that we do is fund small grants to community groups in Mozambique. Projects have ranged from everything from teaching girls to code to youth empowerment through soccer. As a small organization, we are very intentional about choosing small, always less than $1,500, but impactful projects to get the most bang for our donors' buck. The best thing about Friends of Moe's is that 100% of donations go directly to projects in Mozambique. We have essentially zero overhead and have a great board, including former country director Carl Swartz, Peace Corps staff Ophelia Shuva, and uh, several RPCVs who you may know. If you want to learn more about Friends of Moe's, go to friendsofmozambique.com. You can learn more about our projects and make a donation if you are able. Um, thanks, everyone. Estamos juntos.